I'm Scott. I'm Bill. And we're the Trade Guys. You're listening to The Trade Guys, a podcast produced by CSIS, where we talk about trade in terms that everyone can understand. I'm H. Andrew Schwartz, and I'm here with Scott Miller and Bill Reinch, the CSIS Trade Guys. In this episode, it's the 50th episode of The Trade Guys, and it's our one-year anniversary. And it's going to be a barn burner of an episode because this week, the U.S.-China trade deal is completely breaking down and there's a lot of chaos. The sudden tensions come just as U.S.-China trade talks are set to begin again. We're going to talk about the Trump administration who says that China is retreating from its commitments after the deal looked like it was headed towards the finish line. So what happened and will the Trump administration wage more tariffs on China? We'll discuss all this and much more on this episode of The Trade Guys. Gentlemen, this is an historic occasion. This is the one year anniversary of The Trade Guys. It's our 50th episode. This is huge, absolutely huge. And we have a barn burner of an episode here because as we speak, the market is down about 571 points as a result of trade volatility between the United States and China. What in the heck is going on, trade guys? You know, we arranged this precisely for our anniversary. We told the president how to have a party. All right, I pro- I promise. This is a big shout out to Julie Hamry. I promised Julie Hamry we were going to have a barn burner of a show today. So we did sort of arrange this, I guess. This we is told it. the president we needed a timely tweet, and he delivered. And he delivered the he delivered the on tweet. Sunday he came through. Yes. He delivered, man. Boy, did he ever deliver. Why did he do that? Apparently, the story is, which I, and I, which I think is correct, that from our point of view, the Chinese started to walk back on some commitments. The media painted this out to be Trump was being reckless, but but that's not quite the case, no, is it? No, Light, uh, Ambassador Lighthizer had a, actually did a press briefing uh, on uh, Monday, uh, which is unusual for him. And he was quite clear they were in China last week, and the Chinese apparently were saying that there were some things that they had agreed to that they no longer wanted to change their law to reflect their agreements. I don't know, I don't think he was ever clear about exactly what he was talking, what those items were. But he interpreted that as walking back on commitments they had already made. Yes. Which he then conveyed to the president, who then tweeted. Now, there's two pieces of this. First, it's at the end stage of the negotiation. Right. Uh, there were the previous comments by both sides were that there was convergence. They were talking about landing zones. Right. So this this was an end stage uh, disruption. So, and, Scott, didn't we think this was like a done deal? Well, look, I still think, and we can talk more about that, I still think that it is in the interest of both the United States and China to get to a deal. But this, what happened, as Bill describing, is that there was a movement backwards. And this is on the tough part of the negotiation. Recall we split up the discussion of market access from the structural change. This is on structural reforms in China. And I think Ambassador Lighthizer has been leading all the way along to get the greatest degree of specificity in what China actually has to do to comply with the agreement. And that seems to be the area that backed up. So in some cases, a lot of negotiations almost fall apart before they come together. So it's not a complete surprise, but then it happens tend to happen at the late stage. But but that was that was really the incident that prompted all this. Well, it's true. If you don't crash and burn two or three times uh, in trade, you really aren't producing anything that's noteworthy. But I do think that this is a case where there, there's a lot of peril here for the president. 
you know, we talked a little bit about this in the in the past. I think the path to political success, forget about the economics for a minute, the political success for him is very narrow. He has to produce a strong agreement that addresses the structural issues, the, right. the subsidies, the IP theft, the forced tech transfer, and the Chinese have to honor it. Uh, otherwise, a year from now, we're back right where we started from now. It seems to me what this last episode uh, should be telling the president is, look, you may end up with a choice here that is not a politically palatable choice. You can have an agreement that will not be what you want, uh, in which case the Democrats will accuse you of being a poor negotiator and a folding, or you can walk away, in which case the Democrats will accuse you of failing uh, and causing a lot of collateral damage through the tariffs that you've implemented right. and then not getting anything in return. I mean, the president's statement all along has been short-term pain, long-term gain. If he walks away, there's no gain That's right. and just the pain. I think he's put himself in a very difficult political position. Well, right. I agree. And it's because he's framed this as winning as a win-lose outcome for himself. I mean, that's the corner he's managed to paint himself in. Really, and, and the fact of the matter is, if you're going to insist on these structural changes, which I, I'm glad they are, I think that's the most important part of the, the agreement, China is, a, is, an, is enough of an economic rival over the long term. It's a management problem. It's not about winning and, winning and losing a single deal. It's about how you manage the relationship in a way that you are able to assert the things that are most important to you and able to keep uh, China from doing the things that are most harmful. Well, there's one more element, too, to keep keep in mind, and that is some sense that the current problem arose in part because, uh, you know, a kind of a dangerous thing happened in the negotiation. Both sides got economic good news. Right. You know, the Chinese had a good first quarter. They had right. a better first quarter they were expecting. Uh, we've had a good first quarter, too. Unemployment continues to, to go way down. And it's always surprising on the upside. This, this yes. month's uh, in unemployment report, again, yes. surprised on the upside. The consequence of that in negotiations is both sides think they are now in a stronger position and don't have to make as many concessions. But this is a dark incident here between the United States and China. It's very worrisome, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it's, it's, it's a fragile situation, so I don't know how it's going to come out at this point. Uh, the Chinese chief negotiator is going to be here tomorrow, as I understand it. Right. And so whether they can put Humpty Dumpty back together at this point, I don't know. But the president seems very serious about additional tariffs, and that's going to annoy and draw a response from the Chinese. It's going to be annoying because the assessment of the tariffs imposed so far has I mean, there are, there are in specific cases of people that have gotten directly direct hits and are very unhappy. But uh, so far, I think in both countries, there's been a tendency to say the political impact has been greater than the economic impact. Yes. 10% is not, it's annoying, but it's not It's huge. not a deal breaker. Yeah. If you go to 25%, what happens? then you, you have a big problem, particularly on a lot of agricultural items. Yes. The Chinese will retaliate probably by increasing their tariffs further. Then the uh, supply chain management gets very, very difficult for almost yes, everybody who's exactly. engaged. Exactly. People right. start, start to All change right, and their let, supply And let's chains. keep in mind, the United States imported more than $539 billion worth of goods from China in 2018. That's a lot, yes. of, that's a lot and, of goods. And this is, of course, where the president's message is inconsistent with the real experience of people because he insists that China is paying these tariffs right. and that it, we have, le we have a, a big advantage because we import more than uh, Chinese goods than China imports U.S. goods. Right. The fact of the matter is consumers always pay the tariffs. So and it's US isn't consumers. this a bad idea for the president politically going into an election season? It's a big risk. 
he's taking a big risk by escalating. Exactly. That's why I said the path of success is very narrow. You know, if there's a deal, and I still think there's a good chance of one, at the moment, it'll be a big victory. He'll claim it's the greatest victory ever. The market will go, all those 500 points will come back. It'll be a big victory. But the, you've asked the important question is, what's it going to look like a year from now? Right. What's it going to look like a year closer to the election? And I think it ends up looking very much like right where we are now. Not having accomplished very much, but it caused a lot of collateral damage in the meantime. Right. And I mean, as we saw, Joe Biden, you know, inartfully articulated something that didn't really come out. I don't think like he meant it to come out and he didn't seem like he knew what he was talking about. Well, yes, it was a, it was a strange statement. It was one that portrayed, at least in in the former vice president's mind, that China was a little more benign than than most people thought it would. What was odd was the Democratic Party that, that's in power now doesn't agree with that. They actually right. agree with President Trump. There was a great tweet from uh, minority leader Schumer, uh, which basically was applauding Donald J. Trump and saying, go be tough with China. You have to be tough. So, Well, and Biden's always wanted to be tough on China. Biden is, is for TPP, for instance. I mean, he, he right? I mean, it, well, no, I, I, he, he, well, no, he was. That was the real reason to be for TPP. Yes. Uh, but that That's wasn't, the, the, that wasn't the way the debate played out. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's hard to pin it down. And it was one comment, so I won't, don't want to take, you know, and he's, he's new to the campaign trail, and it didn't really last much longer than that news cycle. Yeah, he's so, not new to politics. So. But he's new, exactly. He's been at this for a <laughs> but while. But he's, he's also not new to making odd comments from time to time. Right, and this isn't going to hurt him in the long run because presumably he's going to articulate his trade position. No, yes, with and, some... and the caravan will have moved on by then. So right. it's but, not really to worry about. But, but the fact of the matter is, in a year from now, uh, barring any unforeseen circumstances, President Trump is going to be president, and he is going to own this economy. Yes, and what we have at the moment is we have unanimity among the, the political parties here. Being tough on China is the right thing to do. There's really no pushback on that. The president has chosen his way of being tough, which at the moment is looking a little risky. So, But the Democrats have got to be just frothing at the mouth in anticipation because it's going to be so easy to go after him if this goes south because they can accuse him. If he walks, he failed. He couldn't close. He's not the negotiator that he said he did. And he hurt all these Americans in the process. If he produces an agreement that really isn't very good, he's oh, a failed negotiator. Oh, and the, the, So this is perfect for, for the opposition, which is they can cheer him on now. But if he fails, they get to they get to criticize him. So and, and not not look weak on China. Well, they haven't laid a glove on him yet. True, and this, uh, no, the week and isn't over, and uh, we're, we're you know we're, the the Chinese negotiator is about to arrive, so we'll see if they can put Humpty. All right, and so, so so what would that look like if they can put it back together? The market surges back. There's an agreement. Everybody makes nice, and this and the threats evaporate. Is that what well, it looks like? Or? Uh, yes, until people start reading the fine print, right, and and realize that maybe the commitments aren't quite as as great as the president said they were. And then the next thing that happens is there will be benchmarks and deadlines, and the Chinese just commit to do this by this date and that by that date, uh, and then they're going to start missing some of those. And then we get an enforcement problem. Exactly. At the moment, what the markets are reacting to is uncertainty. 
Okay, earnings are still strong. That's why, while the markets are down roughly two and a half percent over the last two days, it's from record highs that they're down two and a half percent. Not a big decline, but it's it reflects the uncertainty. And so once the once the agreement is announced, that resolves itself. And there's certainty. And there's there's a greater degree of certainty until people look under the hood, start to inspect the equipment, and start to look for compliance. So at that point, there's still a management problem. Okay, but let me ask you guys this. We often give uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping and the Chinese credit for being the smartest economic people, great negotiators, all these things. Are, are, are they really as smart as, as people put them out to be on this? Are they playing a chess game or are they really playing checkers here? What's going on? Well, I've always thought we're the ones that are playing checkers. I, I think they're the ones that are playing chess. I would not give them a very high grade on the management of their own economy. Right. I mean, what Xi Jinping has done— it's Sort of like they got is, is lucky them, with this growth in the last quarter. And Well, and, and I think it's in spite of him. If, if he had done—actually, the irony of this is what we are asking them to do is actually good for them. And, and their economists know it. Yeah. Well, we've talked about this a couple of times, that yeah. the Xi, Jinping, Xi Jinping actually uh, does not— do what his economists tell him to do for the most part. They they have a better plan. And you can see it in their treatment of, of private sector industries. Most of the capital restrictions and the and the pressure in the Chinese economy has been on the private enterprises, whereas it's the state-owned enterprises that are wasting capital. So uh, so I think they I think they are, that we can help them if they actually follow our the, the reform plan that the United States would see in its interest, it would benefit the Chinese economy. But at the moment, there's just enough growth there that's a it's a it's a a huge economy, robust in some ways that are hard to measure, and it seems to be performing beyond expectation. All right. I want to ask you guys an overarching question because you're not only trade guys, you guys are geopolitical guys. Is the trade relationship with China the key to a successful U.S.-China relationship? A one where we get along, one where we don't stumble into armed conflict, one where we deal with a rising China in a productive way, one where we benefit from a productive relationship. My first response would be unclear. We had we had an idea of what might work for the last 25 or 30 years. The idea really from Richard Nixon on was let's bring China into the world of international institutions, including the rules-based trading system, and help help them benefit from those institutions and grow and not constrain them. But in, but in doing so, as Robert Zellick said when he was the USDR, help them become a responsible stakeholder. Right. They didn't like that too much. Well, nobody liked it, but it didn't work. I think that what we're realizing now is that theory of the case was pursued for a long time and didn't play out. What we have now is a greater degree of rivalry and greater friction than we probably like to have, given this, the relative size and importance of the two economies. And we got to manage that friction somehow. The institutions aren't really helping us here. So that's for me. That's why I'm un unclear about whether we have the the recipe correct. I, now. I, I, my answer is a little bit different. I'd say um, working out our trade differences is sort of a necessary but not a sufficient condition for uh, normalizing the relationship. We can't really have a constructive, positive relationship unless we address these problems. That's fair. Partly because the problems, the economic problems, overlap with security issues. I mean, it's not just about, you know, whether they're buying enough soybeans. Uh, it's about, uh, you know, it's about cybersecurity. It's about stealing intellectual property. It's about them. It's about technological races. It's about the, the technological races that have benefits for them that are security related. 
uh, and military-related that, that pose uh, conflicts for us. And that then it bleeds over into the other part where we compete. We really compete for leverage in, in the Pacific. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the U.S. policy really since, since 1945 has been to make sure that there's no single Asian power dominates the region. Uh, and initially that meant Japan. Uh, that's what the war was about. Sure. Uh, f- last 10 to 15 years, it's come to mean more kind of balancing between Jan- Japan and China. And now it's increasingly being China because Xi Jinping not only is taking, you know, the economy, his economy backwards, he's making a much more insertive China on foreign policy, what they're doing in the South China Sea, the way they're pressing, you know, pressing countries. The Belt and Road Initiative is an attempt to to roll up support in, in you know, neighboring countries. Uh, there's a clear effort here of China to take a much larger role uh, in the region, and that means they bump up against our interests in a number of locations. So what do we need to do to get this thing done? You said that talks are going to go on. Uh, Lou He is going to be here starting tomorrow. What needs to happen next? Well, I'm not, yeah, I, I guess I don't have a satisfactory answer from your point of view for that, because to me, this is one of those long twilight struggles. This isn't uh, going to get solved. Nothing's going to happen this week that's going to... Well, it, something may happen or something may not, but I, I, I've always maintained that they're never going to do what we want yes. in China. We played a simulation game yesterday on exactly this subject, and I was on, this time I was on the American team. I was on the Chinese team the last time. Oh, good and, to have you on our side. Well, I was on the Chinese team because I'd been on the American team before and we kept losing. So I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to be on the Chinese team, and I think we won. Okay. Uh, I would say, I'd say yesterday was more of a draw. But the American side began by deciding that they weren't going to do what we wanted. Ever. Ever. Yeah. And, and so that means the question for the Americans is, sure, you've got to keep beating on them because that's what you do, and, and it's good for them to do what we want. But you don't put all your eggs in that basket. You spend a lot of time thinking about what do we need to do to, so we can compete with them, and particularly what do we need to do so we can p- compete with them everywhere else. Because the battleground is third countries. The battleground is not in China. And that's what's being ignored in the current bilateral. So my, my vision of what the best thing that could happen next is first for the president, both presidents to resolve this bilateral agreement in whatever form it takes. Do your best to enforce it, but in the meantime, start to build our alliance structure back so that we are working with allies and partners on developing the long game of uh, whether whether it's in technology or AI or advanced manufacturing or uh, or security systems that that keeps us secure and. In that larger framework, the one that, that includes allies and partners, we're in a better position to manage the inevitable frictions that we'll have with China. Yeah, last time I checked, we have some 60 alliances, and, and the Chinese have one alliance with North Korea, which they can't tell whether that's an alliance that or, or bad? <laughs> yeah, whether it's an alliance or a liability. So we should be able to take advantage of our alliances. Yeah, we have advantages, I mean, for all the difficulties. And, I mean, the current president has not enhanced our image or reputation in the region. But no, and speaking of which, the IMF uh, managing director, Christine Lagarde, um, issued a warning uh, today about the threat that the trade tensions pose and gave our president a little slap on the wrist, which um, he probably didn't take too kindly to. Well, wait for the tweet. I'm sure we'll, we'll see show. if he noticed. We yeah. don't need, well, it. We don't uh, need yeah. the IMF, well, you know. <laughs> it, it, it's certainly coming if he, if he noticed, so we'll the, Chi- the Chinese don't have a lot of friends. Right. No. When I was on the China Commission, 
the Congressional China Commission, one of the things we learned was if, if you want to know about somebody, talk to the neighbors mm-hmm. because the neighbors always have great dirt because they're next door. So we would travel around to, uh, you know, literal countries, uh, Japan, Korea, Vietnam. Uh, we've been, they've been, I didn't go in all these, but the Philippines. You took a spin around the hood. Yes, exactly. Talk to the neighbors. And yeah. my la- well, last year on the commission, we were studying the Belt and Road Initiative in particular. And we went to Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, where I'd never been before. Whole other subject, fascinating place, places. But we asked both of them how they felt about the Belt and Road. And they're very different countries, mm. uh, but they both said exactly the same thing, which was, we really welcome the Chinese investment. The Chinese people, not so much. Mm. And there was a lot of nervousness about this, the Kazakhs in particular, because it's an underpopulated country. You know, there are 19 million uh, in a country that is roughly the size of Western Europe, have this paranoid fear of the Chinese moving in. And not you know. them not being able to do a thing about it. Yes, basically. exactly. This is the concept of the ugly American invading the world, but but it's the Chinese invading the world and not being welcome. Yes, I think there's nervousness about that. I mean, they've they've done very well with the dictatorships because they don't when they give away the money, there are no strings attached. Sure. Yeah. When the World Bank funds a, po- a project, they get lectures. Yeah. yeah, and, and if they, you get an IMF loan, of course, then the bankers come in and make sure your credit cards are well, up to date and, and everything else. And what so. the bank, what the World Bank does, it's 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 ingenious. Uh, if you're going to build an airport, what the World Bank does is, is is they pay the contractor. Right. You know, they don't pay the government. No. Uh, they don't and, matter. And and what the Chinese will do is they'll come in and and it's they'll pay the leader, and you know a significant chunk ends up in the Swiss bank account, which makes the Swiss happy. But and it, it makes the leader happy. It makes the leader happy. You may not get much of an airport, but it, it doesn't yeah. build a lot of support for China in the country. This is beginning to show up in various African countries where, and, and actually elsewhere, where these projects have turned out to be less than what was advertised. This is something that we haven't talked a lot about, about how China is sort of out wearing its welcome around the world. Yes. I, we should have John Hillman from CSIS who wa- monitors the Belt and Road cases here because there's been a- John is our Belt and Road maven, and he runs a, a micro website called Reconnecting Asia, which you can find uh, online. If you just put in Reconnecting Asia, it'll come right up. And he's done a marvelous job of tracking projects, delving into contracts, reading the fine print, sometime, much of which says uh, if these countries can't pay, the Chinese get the asset. So, you know, yeah. they take over ports, they take over railroads. And it's not, they're not exactly in the grant business. They're in the loan no. business. Uh, so, so, but it's a fabulous. But John, John would be welcome on the show and, and provide an interesting window into this part of uh, policy. We shall invite John, indeed. All right. So, guys, what else? What, what else do we need to talk about with this acute issue this week that we're facing right now? What do you think is next? What tweet is coming next? What What is Bob Lighthizer going to do next? What is Mnuchin going to do next? Is the Trump team um, properly aligned to deal with the Chinese this week here in town? Well, Mnuchin, the next thing Mnuchin will probably do is probably go out for dinner. He's been seen out a lot. Where's he going? Oh, various restaurants. I don't remember offhand. Good places uh, in town? Yes. Yes. I, I got to tell seems you. seems a bit of a foodie, I, well, sort of like know, Obama. I went to St. Anselm the other night in town, which is uh, in the- Oh, was U- it good? It's excellent. In the Union Market area, Union Market used to be a neighborhood you just wouldn't go to in Northeast. 
uh, Union Market is fantastic. You can go in there and there's all the food stands. It's a food hall. But St. Anselm is right over there. You can stop by Politics and Prose and get a book afterwards. Great night out on the town. Well, Lighthizer is probably not doing that. Yeah, they're, but they're probably working. But look, if the passes, issue is the tariffs. Don't the, you think? the issue is going to be whether the tariffs escalate. If the pass is prologue, when negotiations almost appear at the breaking point with this administration, the president will take half a loaf and declare victory. And so that that's for me, that's the most likely outcome here. That's the playbook. The new tariffs will never be applied. We'll get the half of loaf, and in a week or two, we'll look under the hood and see see how it's whether it's gotten stale. <laughs> in the meantime, the markets will be relieved. And yeah, I don't look. I don't look for a, a finished agreement. This week, I think there's too much stuff undone. That's probably right. The, the happy ending is the Chinese walk back their walking back yeah. and, and and go back to what they had originally agreed to. And the tariffs don't go up. And, and Lighthizer announces, or the president announces, we are now back making progress. Yes. So I'll hold off on the tariffs. Do you think that this episode may deter President Trump and or the Chinese from either walking things back and or making threats going forward? You mean this episode of The Trade Guys? No, no. Be nice. <laughs> Be nice well, this is the, 50, this is the one year lessons. anniversary. It's the one year anniversary. It's our 50th episode. Hopefully it will do some good. Andrew, it's always my fond hope that my friends who listen to the podcast don't think I'm stupid when I'm done. They never do. They never do. Scott, everybody knows Trade Guy Scott is to be one of the smartest men in Washington. That is a fact. The episode, to get to your question, the episode has stirred everybody up. Partly, it stirred everybody up because the whole trajectory was different. I mean, we just had six weeks of positive tweets from the president. Right. Positive, positive tweets. We're getting closer. We're converging. Yeah. Everything's going fine. Landing Agreement soon. Appearing. I'm meeting with Xi soon. All positive news. Happy news. And then uh, over the weekend, a 180, which shakes everybody up. Yeah. And. Uh, probably the kind of thing that he, en- he enjoys doing because he's a he loves uncertainty. Uh, maybe we'll see more of this. In, in loves, retrospect, we should loves, have said— And he loves turmoil. He loves turmoil. In retrospect, we should have seen it coming, right. you know. Makes sense. Because these things do crash and burn. Uh, so, but I, I think it, it doesn't mean that all is lost by any means. It just constantly feels like a professional wrestling match. Where no one is actually hurt? I don't think so. There well, are people no, that are, that I mean, are actually hurt in this people one. People are getting banged up a little bit. There's no doubt about that. And and you know, and if you ask professional wrestlers, they'll tell you that it's not all fake. The, over it's the last, not all fake. Over the last, ask George the Animal Steel if it was all fake. But how much of it was fake? Yeah, who knows? But <laughs> it's not I, all real either. I mean, but Donald Trump's. It, it feels like there's there's just a, a a back and forth, a good and an evil, a constant, you know. Uh, uh, playing off of each other. Yes, I mean, we've reached I don't the think operatic we, stage. Yeah, yeah, I don't, and I don't think we've seen the last of it. No, the you fat guys? lady has not come out for, right. the, for the big finish yet. Right. You know, so. I, I can't resist pointing out an irony too. You know, the the story is that that this start this problem arose in China because Liu He made a number of concessions that Xi Jinping vetoed. Yes. So, kind of ironic since exactly the same thing happens to Lighthizer. Right. Lighthizer goes in and has Trump tell him, no, 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 we can't do that. With the TV cameras and gets undermined by the president. I mean, I mean if anybody should be prepared for this. Yeah, they, they do. There's, yeah. The the two leaders are looking an awful lot more alike, and the two negotiators are looking a lot more alike, actually. Yeah, maybe maybe they should all just get together and, and sit down and say, you know, we're all part of the same gang. <laughs>
Why can't we just Why get can't along? Why can't we get along? Didn't yes. see that one coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I guess to be continued, this is going to be an interesting end of this week, and we'll be back with the results next week for our 51st episode. It will be our 51st. Exactly. So Trade Guys will continue. Trade Guys, thank you for this barn burner of an episode. Happy anniversary to both of you. This has been a pleasure to talk today, as always. Thank, thank you. you. To our listeners, if you have a question for the Trade Guys, write us at tradeguys at csis.org. That's tradeguys at csis.org. We'll read some of your emails and have the Trade Guys react to it. We're also now on Spotify, so you can find us there when you're listening to the Rolling Stones or you're listening to Tom Petty or whatever you're listening to. Thank you, Trade Guys. Thanks, Thanks Andrew. You've been listening to The Trade Guys, a CSIS podcast.